This morning, I want to... Last week, we looked at prayer. Prayer in the church. And um, as we've been looking at Christ's church, some of the functions of Christ's church, I want to continue to, to talk about that this morning. But today, I want to look at preaching in Christ's church. And I should have probably should have mentioned this principle last week, but I want to, if you've never heard of it, bring to you a, a term, the regulative principle of worship. And, and, that, and the question is, what, what regulates, what are the rules, what regulates our worship as a church, the way we function as a church? And so there's this principle called the regulative principle. And, and it's interesting that in the past, primitive Baptists have been called by the name regular Baptists because they subscribe to the regulative principle of worship. Some of you may be familiar, I believe it's in the 1800s. Uh, it was born in the 1800s, 1840s, I believe. It's Elder J.H. Oliphant. Some people have heard of him. He's a very respected, uh, renowned, primitive Baptist preacher. And I've got a book at home that he wrote on the doctrines and the belief and the practice of the church, the primitive Baptist church. And he entitled that the principles and practices of regular Baptists. Regular Baptists. That they were. Uh, so the regulative principle really means this. Uh, that the manner in which our church is to function the things that we do, the way we worship, the way we conduct ourselves, has to be regulated by what is explicitly taught in the New Testament Scriptures. It has to be explicitly taught in the New Testament Scriptures. And anything that's not commanded or forbidden in the New Testament Scriptures, we will use Christian liberty, but we only want to be found doing the things that are explicitly taught in the Scriptures. You know, a lot of times, uh, if you're ex describing to someone you're a primitive Baptist, uh, one of the one of the ways we'll start with what is a primitive Baptist is here's all the things we don't do. <laughs> Y'all ever done that? Um, I don't know how wise that is, but um, there are things that, that maybe we don't do, and there's other churches that, that don't do them as well that maybe subscribe to this principle, but the reason that, that we don't do those things is because with, if something is taught in the Bible, it might exclude something else from being done, right? So the Bible teaches like a male leadership, the pastors to be a, a male, right? That excludes... Female pastors, just in its in, in the simplicity. Do you see that? The Bible teaches believers' baptism by immersion. So you say, why why don't you why don't you baptize or sprinkle infants? Because the Bible specifically teaches, explicitly teaches that you baptize believers by immersion. Um, like singing. We sang today. It was beautiful, right? Why don't we why don't we have instruments in the church? Why don't we play in the church because the new testament command over and over is to sing making melody in your heart that excludes the playing or the the, the including of, of musical instruments very simple maybe we'll talk about that next week uh some more uh, why are why are primitive baptist churches independent and self-governing because that's what the bible teaches right why aren't we part of a convention or part of a larger group of of churches that that are told what to do from a larger organization because we are independent answering only to Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. So that's, that's how it's regulated in Scripture, so that's what we, we do. And, and I would use, also like to say this, that we don't hold to this to be weird. <laughs> Although if you hold to the regulative principle, you're going to be different than a lot of churches, right? We don't hold it to be backwards. It's not backwards. Um, and we don't hold on to this because it's our personal preference, right? I, we should never do anything in the church because that's our personal preference, right? We do it because we have a desire to be biblical. We want to be a biblical church, right? And so we don't, we don't, we don't do it because our forefathers did it or because 
Uh, that's how our mom or dad did it. We do it because we want to be biblical. And so really what you want is if you were on a, if you were on a desert island and there was no church and all you had was the Bible and you had to create a church, you could do it from the Bible. Do you know that? You could just take the Bible and create a biblical church. Um, so as we looked at prayer last week, we looked at prayer and an example. And so as we look at regulating, does the Bible prescribe it? Does the Bible describe the church doing that? We want to see, first of all, did Jesus participate in it, right? So prayer and our example, we looked at that last week. So we look at preaching and our example. Did Christ participate in the preaching of the gospel? Did the early church do it? And if you can't find the early church doing it, then it's probably not something that you want to find the church in 2022 doing, right? Now, the, the, our buildings, you know, they didn't have church buildings in, in, the, in the first century. That doesn't, that doesn't, it, that's not, there's nothing wrong with having, the hymnals will be different. You know, hymnals have changed throughout time. Those are things that aid in the worship of God, right? Don't y'all, aren't y'all thankful for the church building? It's raining outside, it's cold. We could be out in a cave somewhere. But y'all can do that. I want to be here, right? Um, but did we see the early church doing it? And then uh, we, look, we looked at prayer as, as a means of deliverance and prayer as a means of evangelism. So I want to look at, at preaching this morning as a means of, of deliverance for the child of God and as our tool or means for evangelism as well. Um, but we'll start by just what is preaching? You know, what is the act of preaching? And really, it's just a proclamation of religious truth that's meant to glorify God. It's meant to motivate his children. You know, you should when you're preaching, you should learn something. Like if, if I'm just I'm not if I just get up here and hoop and holler and y'all say, boy, he's funny and boy, he's crazy. But you weren't edified. That's no good, is it? Um, nothing wrong with being loud. Nothing wrong with being quiet. Uh, what what matters is, was God glorified? And did the people of God leave motivated? Did they learn something? That's what preaching is. Um, it's, it's, it's just the proclamation, really the proclamation of the gospel and of Jesus. And maybe we'll see some of that. So the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, did Jesus do it? And that's almost a silly question to ask because you can't get very far in any of the gospels without seeing Jesus preaching himself, right? So let's look at Matthew chapter 3. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. This is when Jesus Christ begins his public ministry. He's going to be baptized. He comes to John the Baptist and he's baptized. Uh, the Spirit of God descends upon him from on high. There's a voice from heaven. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, this, is, this is the coming out, if you will, of Jesus. Who he is, what he's going to do. And I don't know that there's any, I don't know that it's just a coincidence that chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, begins like this. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was when, it was when John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, he's ushering in this way of the New Testament. He comes in and he's preaching the God, he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching repentance. He's preaching that there's a, a kingdom that's coming. There's a king that will come. You know, he would be the one that would turn when Jesus came out and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That is the focus of preaching is to behold Jesus. If, if you leave here today and you don't, you don't remember, uh, you know, hopefully you'll remember me. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, but if, if I was somewhere and I was preaching, they didn't know me and they left and they knew more about Jesus, but they didn't remember my name. That's the goal, right? John said, I want to decrease and I want him to increase. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus uh, decides at this time, this appointed time, that he's going to begin his ministry. He's going to begin his, his public ministry for three and a half years. He, he comes forward during the preaching of the kingdom. That's not a coincidence. Y'all understand that, right? And that's what we want when we preach, when we preach the gospel, when we preach the word. We want Jesus to show up, right? We want Jesus to be in our midst. And so he's baptized and immediately he's taken into the wilderness and he's tempted of the devil. And the devil uh, brings all the, the glories of all the kingdoms before him and he tempts him. If you'll do this and worship me, I'll give you this, I'll give you that, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And finally, using the word of God, Satan leaves him for a time. And, and he goes into Capernaum, and in, in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus doing this. It says, from that time, after his temptation, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began to preach. Verse 23, it says, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. You may remember John the Baptist when he's in prison and he's discouraged and he sends uh, two to ask, are you the Christ or should we look for another? And Jesus goes back and he talks about those that are healed and the, and the death are, are raised to life and all these things. And the last thing he says is that the poor have the gospel preached unto them. It's it's. It's a miraculous thing to be under the sound of the gospel. And it's an important thing. We live in a day where preaching is minimized. Um, the importance of preaching. Uh, you know, I read articles online like how to be a better preacher, <laughs> tips for preachers. <laughs> I got a YouTube channel I subscribe to. This guy <laughs> tells me how to be a better preacher. And one of them is keep them short. <laughs> You know, TED Talks. Y'all ever seen a TED Talk? Um, it's, I think they have to keep them to 18 minutes or less um, because people's attention spans. Y'all zone back in now. It's 1122. That's why they have commercials, I think, to sell stuff and to keep people's attention <laughs> uh, on TV. Um, but... Uh, if you've ever been in a meeting where the gospel is being preached and blessed by the Spirit of God, time, time means nothing, does it? You ever been in it? It'd be 50 minutes, an hour, and it feels like the man just started. That's preaching. I would love to hear Jesus preach, wouldn't y'all? But we can read his sermons right after Matthew chapter 4 is Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Word of God. So obviously, Jesus did it. But what about the early church? You know, if, if um, we have a description of the early church in the book of Acts, uh, so did the early church, are they described as, as being a church that preaches the Word? And then also, did the ministry teach the importance of the preached Word? And so, if you, if you look at the book of Acts, it's interesting, I think some variation of preach, whether it's preached or preaching or preach, uh, is used 37 times in the 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Um, as Jesus is leaving his ministry in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he tells them they'll receive power 
and after that, that the Holy Ghost has come upon them, that they shall be uh, they shall be witnesses. That is one who bears a testimony. They shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, how are they going to witness to all the parts of the earth, to, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and throughout the world? What was going to be their witness? Well, Jesus tells them in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, He says, you're going to go into all the world and you're going to preach the gospel. The preached word of the gospel. That's going to be uh, what the New Testament church is really going to be all about. It's going to be the advancement of the gospel through the preaching of the gospel. Um, and you could go to, let's say, Acts chapter 5. Uh, you know, Peter and the other apostles have been imprisoned and they're finally released. And, 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 and they say, here's, the, here's, here's kind of the, uh, the reason that we're going to release you. Here's, here's the terms of your, uh, of your release, right? Just don't go anywhere uh, speaking in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And in verse 41, it says, They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Oh, that it, it would be amazing what the church of God in 2022 could do if we were full of people who would just rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And it says, They counted it worthy to suffer shame for His name, and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The early church saw the importance of preaching the word. When Saul of Tarsus was making um, shipwreck, or he was making havoc of the church, it says that those were dispersed in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. It says, They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You know what, you know what Saul, when he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters, when he was against Christ, when he hated the way in which we try to worship God today, the things which we are trying to uh, explain today, the religious truths that we hold dear, when he hated that, he wanted to shut up those who were preaching the word of God. And in his persecution of those people, they were scattered and preached. That's amazing, isn't it? That it, as he was trying to, as he was trying to bind them up, the Word of God was loosed. And it says in verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And guess what Philip did after he was scattered? It says there he preached Christ unto them. It was important to the early church that they preach. And then this man who was trying to shut up the church is met by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And, he said, and, 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 and as he is born again and he is struck down blind, he says, Lord, what will you have me to do? He says, you're going to go here and there's going to be a man that's going to come, Ananias, that's going to tell you what you should do. And, and Paul, Paul that, that's the Apostle Paul who was Saul of Tarsus. They find him praying and Ananias goes to him and, and, he, and, he, and he prays with him and, and, the, and the scales fall off of his eyes and he's baptized in verse 18 of Acts chapter 9. And then two verses later, verse 20, it says, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This man who was trying to shut down the church has been born again by God's sovereign grace and is found preaching Christ in the synagogues of those who need Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God's grace amazing? The story of Scripture is amazing. It's, it's funny that Saul comes to Jerusalem to the disciples there, and in verse 26 it says, they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. <laughs> And Barnabas comes. And you know what Barnabas does? He, he takes Paul 
and, and, and he takes to, to, these, to these disciples who were scared of him, rightfully so, and, and he tells them how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. It's, see, that's the work of the early church was to preach the gospel. We find, we find in Acts chapter 10, Peter, an open door to the Gentiles, and Peter is preaching the gospel. Uh, throughout almost every chapter of the book of Acts, you see preaching, and it's probably no coincidence that it ends this way. In Acts chapter 28, it says in verse 30, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came to him. Last verse of Acts. Verse 31 begins this way, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence no man forbidding him. See, preaching was the priority and the passion of the early church. It wasn't relegated to something. It wasn't relegated to that 20-minute sermon that the YouTube man tells me to make me a famous preacher. <laughs> we, we read of Paul preaching all night till midnight. See, there was a hunger for the Word of God and the means by which God has ordained that the Word of God is going to be spread to His people is through the preaching of the Gospel. Do y'all see the importance of preaching this morning? We reread from Acts chapter 6 last week where the early ministry said that it's not, it's not reasonable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. We're going to give ourselves to the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it's verse 2, at the very, this is, this is probably, many believe this is the last letter that Paul's going to write. We're towards the end of the letter. And he says, he's instructing Timothy, he says, preach the Word. I love that because there's no, as a preacher, as someone who's been called to preach, and, 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 and I believe I have, and, and I enjoy preaching, it's, it's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Um, you get very nervous about it, and you don't feel, uh, you don't feel adequate to do it. But then you want to do it. It's very weird. <laughs> um, but I'm so thankful that I don't have to. I don't have to go home every night and think, or, or I don't have to go home on Sunday nights and think, what am I going to preach next week? I got to come up with something. I just got to preach the word. That's amazing, isn't it? Preach the word. Charles Spurgeon would talk about the word of God being like a lion. You don't have to defend it. You just got to let it loose. The Word of God. Preach the Word. He said be instant. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to preach the Word because that's what the church needed. As Paul's going to go, he's going he's to be taken out of the scene and Timothy's going to be left at Ephesus to carry on the ministry. He says the important thing for you to do, Timothy, is to preach the Word. Y'all see that how important the Word of God is? Paul would tell the Romans that as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the Gospel to you that are at Rome. Jeremiah talked about a, a, a fire that was in his bones that he had to get out to preach the Word. Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the Gospel. It was in him that he wanted to preach the Word. It was this passion that they had. And this, this church that is, that is noted as being the ones that turned the world upside down, what was it that fueled the early church? It was the preaching of the resurrected Christ what He had done for His people. If I go on my YouTube channel today, it would probably say, here's what you need to preach. <laughs> and, 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 and the gurus 
would say minimize the message. <laughs> you can go to John chapter 6 where Jesus was preaching and Jesus says some, some what would be probably strange things and Jesus says some things that minimize uh, the minimize what man can do for salvation. He talks about uh, he talks about no man can come to him except the Father draw him. He, he basically says that there is there is nothing that man can do to save himself. And guess what? Everyone turns away except his twelve disciples, his twelve apostles. So he didn't water down the message, did he? And he turns to Peter and he says, "Are you going to go away also?" <laughs> he see. Um, there's, there's this, there's this, there is a movement within Christianity over the last 30, 40 years to be seeker-friendly. And that is to the model of your church, you were to model your church not based on the Bible and exactly what it says, but how could we create a church that those who are unchurched will come in and feel comfortable? That's, and we see churches have grown doing this in our Laodicean world in which we live. Now, we want to be seeker-sensitive, right? There's a difference between building your church for the seeker and being seeker. If someone comes into Vestavia, I'm not a very good singer, but I'm going to sing as best as I can because that reflects on Vestavia Church, right? I, I don't want to act in such a way that... Um, I don't, I don't want to be weird for the sake of being weird, do y'all? <laughs> it, takes, it takes a lot of courage in 2022 for somebody to walk into a primitive Baptist church. Y'all know that? And, and as a generation of people, so people my age that weren't brought up in a church that holds the regulative principle, if they've been brought up in a church, let's say they've been brought up in a church, more than likely they've been brought up in a church that maybe they're not full-blown seeker-friendly, but they have incorporated some of those things, right? You talk about the youth group movement. The youth group movement, um, from the time that kids are three or four years old, uh, many of the focus of many of the churches in America is to entertain them and have such a fun environment for them that they want to stay in the church. The problem with that is when you kick them out at, 20, at 18 years old or at 26 years old or whatever it is, they're going to search for the fun church, right? And so we've just extended the youth group into the elderly group. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying this morning? And so we have to have stuff that we don't want here. Let's just say that. To, to continue people to come, to continue to encourage people to come to church, you have to extend that youth group to the grave. Because you started with a bad foundation, right? So you're going to end with a bad foundation. If you make the foundation Jesus Christ and the preached Word, you don't have to worry about changing it when they become 18 or 26 or 48 or 92. If you can't win them with the Gospel, you haven't really won them. Do you all understand that? So why is preaching so important? Why was preaching so important to the early church? Um, and that's why I want to look at preaching as, as our means of deliverance or our weapon for deliverance. And you may remember that we talked about prayer last week, one of the other functions of the church. Uh, one of the other things that's regulated for the church to do is to pray. 
And it is also a means of deliverance. We, we read from uh, Psalm 34, which said the righteous cry and the Lord hears them and delivers them. Um, so it is very true that prayer is a tool that we can use to be delivered. But God has ordained in His providence uh, that the preaching of the Gospel be a way that you and I are delivered from this untoward generation, from this crooked world. It's through, the, it's through sitting under the sound of the preached Word. And for that, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul begins 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. He's talked about some divisions in the church and... and um, you know, people in this church were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And, and, and he, Paul gets down to the point that we need to be about Christ and not about anyone else, right? It's not about the personality of the preacher, the eloquence of the preacher. So he says in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, Paul obviously had baptized a few of them there. It was, uh, it was the commission of the apostles to go out and to baptize people to preach the gospel. But what Paul is saying here is that Christ didn't send me my first priority was not only to just go out and baptize people. That's not the main thing. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The number one job of the ministry and the number one function of the church is to be a place where the gospel is preached. Do you see that? For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Then he says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be, not, be made of none effect. He says, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. And then he says, it's not with wisdom of words. Um, I'm, also, I'm glad he said that too. I'm glad he told me what to preach. And now Paul's telling me how to preach. Um, because I don't use big words because I don't know what they mean. <laughs> Y'all ever heard a preacher say something? You think, I got to get home and Google that. Anybody? Y'all talked, we've talked about this before. That's a deep preacher. That was a deep sermon. That means I don't understand anything that brother said. <laughs> if y'all leave here today and say, boy, that was a deep sermon. I didn't do my job. I didn't. How would y'all like me to get up here today and say, today the, uh, the, <laughs> the title of our sermon today is the difference between supralopsarianism and infralopsarianism. You've lost me at that point, right? Now those may be good principles that you can read about. But I don't, I don't really even know what those words mean. I've just heard people say them. <laughs> um, he says, it's not with wisdom of words. It's not with the eloquence of the speaker. See, I could have, let's talk about supralopsarianism. When did the fall occur? All these things. I could have a discussion with, a, with someone who, who wants to talk about that. Paul could have been as eloquent as anybody, right? Paul probably knew the Old Testament Scriptures, the Scriptures better than anyone, but he says he just came unto them humbly, not with wisdom of words, because the power is not in man. The power is not in the messenger. It's in the message, right? He says, I didn't come to you with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The message of the Gospel, the, the cross of Christ is the focus of preaching. We don't want to build a church on the eloquence or the, or the charisma of a man, right? We want the church to be built on the preaching of the Gospel. Amen? He says, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross. 
The preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross is salvation. What did Jesus do for you on the cross? He saved you, right? He suffered. He bled. He died. To pay for your sins. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Those who are lost. Those who are wasting away. It is foolishness. It's silliness. It's absurd. I have to think about today, um, you know, when you think about maybe it's on uh, television or maybe you hear it on a podcast or maybe, uh, you know, there can be people who seem to be so educated, but if they get on the subject of Christianity and who Jesus was and what Jesus did, it's, they, they think it's foolishness. It's silliness to them. They wouldn't believe it. They're too educated to believe it. I love what John Gill said about this verse. He says, their judgment of it. These who are perishing, these who believe that the gospel is foolishness, their judgment of it is not to be regarded. Being no more capable to judge the glory and wisdom of the gospel than a blind man is of colors. See, we don't want to listen to the world when it comes to the gospel. Those who are spiritually dead or spiritually blind, we don't, we, it doesn't matter what they think about the gospel. Do y'all agree with that this morning? <laughs> it doesn't matter. See, the, the, the natural man, Paul would go in the next chapter and say, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. He says he can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. And those that are perishing, those that are wasting away, those that weren't, haven't been born again, that weren't elected before the foundation of the world into the covenant of grace, all they can do is perish. Do you understand that? All The a dead, only thing that a dead person can do is be dead, Right? That's the only thing they're capable of. And those who are spiritually dead to the things of God, when, you, when they hear the preaching of the Gospel, they see the things that you love. If those that are spiritually dead today, if you said, I'm here today to be renewed. I'm here today to be motivated. I'm here today to worship. They would think that is foolishness and silly because they don't have what it takes to understand what God has done for us. They don't have the receptor, if you will, to understand the message. They don't have it. They don't have faith with planted within their heart because God hasn't given it to them. And so if they hear the preaching, if they hear the things that you hold dear, maybe it's that college professor, and people have to deal with this, and they'll mock Christianity, they'll mock your family, they'll mock the things that you hold dear. It's because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. It's because God hasn't touched them. So, child of God, don't that would be like that would be just like John Gill said. That would be like asking a blind man to describe a color. He can't do it because the Spirit of God is not in them. So the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But listen to this. But, Paul says, but unto us which are saved. That's us today. Us who have been delivered. Us who are chosen by the Father and redeemed by Christ and regenerated by the Holy Spirit unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. It's not foolish. It's life changing. The preaching of the gospel was life changing in my life. I can remember, I can remember sitting in the pew, Center Point Primitive Baptist Church. I can remember the day that I was blessed to finally see what I'd never seen. And it changed my, and look, boy, I messed it up over and over and over and over and over again. My life's just a, a, a continuation of Josh messing it up and God being gracious. It is. But it was powerful. I have, I have sat where I believe the Gospel has been preached in, in power and with the Spirit of God. And I have sat back there on the pew thinking, when in the world is this going to be over? <laughs> I want to go home. I've told this story before. I would, we had a big clock at the back of that church. 
So, children, I feel your pain. <laughs> I've been there. I can relate to you. And I would, I would think, let me see if I can hold my breath for 30 seconds. And I'd watch that second hand tick down. I'd get another breath and I'd say, let me go a minute this time. I've joked, everyone wondered who the blue kid was on the back pew <laughs> holding his breath. But there came a time where what once was silliness and foolishness became powerful to me. And if you've ever heard the preaching of the gospel and it motivated you to want to do better, or it motivated you to serve your fellow man, or it motivated you to praise your God, Listen to what the Bible says. It says that the only people who are motivated by the preaching of the gospel are those that have been saved. Not the ones to which salvation has been offered or could be saved, but to those who have been saved. Do y'all see that? To those who are perishing in His foolishness, but to those of us that are saved, it is the power of God. If it's ever come powerful into your life, that's because you are saved, child of God. So many messages say, if this message has moved you today, do this, do that, or do something else so you can be saved. But the message of the Gospel is, if it's ever moved you, you are saved. Don't y'all love that? And follow Him in response to the salvation that He's given you. Follow Him in baptism, in church membership, in reading of your Bible, and praying, and just being a good citizen. <laughs> Do that in response to what He's done for you. We don't, we, don't, we don't serve God so that in response to our service, He will save us. We serve Him in response to what He's done for us. That's the Gospel. He says, unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Listen to what Paul asks. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Oh, the Greeks were, you know, they would seek after a sign. And it was in Athens that they were all come out to, to learn something new every morning. They wanted something flashy. They wanted a lot like us, wasn't it? I gotta wake up and tune in to see exactly what happened on the other side of the world every morning. I want something new, something fresh. When the only thing that will truly nourish your soul is as old as the world is, what God did before the world began. He says, Where is the, the wise or the scribe? Where is the wisdom of the Greek or the or the scribe who knew the test who knew who knew the, the Old Testament scriptures so well? Where? where is the disputer of this world? Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? You know, see, God, God doesn't, he, he may use them at time from time to time, but God doesn't typically use the wise, the eloquent, the educated of this world to minister his gospel. See, that's what we would do. When Israel wanted a king, they didn't go down to the sheepfold and find little David who could lead them, a man after God's own heart. They found the tallest and the best looking and said, that's the man we want. That's what the world does. That's not how God works. You understand today you were part of a church. You're standing, you're sitting, hearing the message of the gospel in a church in, 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 that has been, that has been uh, preserved throughout the generations, not by the wisest, not by the most eloquent, but by farmers, <laughs> by postal workers, by teachers. And, 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 and doctors and lawyers and 
builders and, and just common people. You understand that? Just common people. That's what God uses. You say, there's no way. See, most people think to be a preacher, you've got to have, you know, if you're a real pastor, you've got to have office hours and a degree on your wall. I heard about a brother, he was in a, he was in a bad mess and he called down to the local Baptist church and said, I need to talk to the preacher. And they transferred him over and he said, this is Dr. Smith. And he said, I, I'm not looking for a doctor, brother. I need a preacher. <laughs> and, and throughout the ages, God has used common men to preach His Gospel. I was reading uh, this week about... Um, the relationship to, to religion and, and the Civil War. And it, and it mentioned this uh, in the Confederate Army. It, it talked about the chaplains in the Confederate Army. And, and whether you were with the Union or the Confederate, the one thing they had in common is most of, the, most of the common soldiers and most of the men, they held the Bible in high esteem. Much different than our world today, isn't it? They would identify soldiers on the battlefield they, they wouldn't have dog tags. They may be marred so much they couldn't understand who they were, but they'd find the Bible in their front pocket. I, I wish... And you know, those men are demonized in our society today. And yeah, they did things that we wouldn't agree with, but we're doing things today that they wouldn't even fathom. I wish we could get back to a little bit of that, the piousness that they had. This is what it said of the chaplains. It said, considering the number of chaplains whose denomination is known, this was in the Confederate Army, we have the following results. Protestants made up 97%, Roman Catholics 3%. Now considering the percentage of chaplains by denominations, Methodists made up 47%. Presbyterians made up 18%. Baptists made up 16%. Episcopalians made up 10%. Roman Catholics were around 3%. And five other denominations accounted for around 1%. And as, as you read that, you'll think, well, Baptists in the South, I mean, my wife and I play a game. Sometimes we're going to the beach or on a road trip. You're going down backwoods. I've made it up. Y'all can play it this, on your next road trip. Baptist or it ain't. And she, takes, she either takes ain't or Baptist. <laughs> and if you pass a church and it's any other denomination, some type of Baptist, you get a point. <laughs> you pass a Baptist church, you get a point. Usually the Baptist person wins because we're just, you can't hardly throw a rock in Alabama without hitting a Baptist church, right? I thought that's kind of low, Eight, uh, 16%. Only 16% of the chaplains of the Confederate Army made up of Baptist ministers. There was an asterisk, and it said this, many Baptist ministers enlisted as common soldiers and ministered from their position in the ranks. Didn't say that of any other denomination. I'm thankful to being a part of common men. I don't need the praise of men. I want the praise of God. What about y'all? Acts 4.13 said, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. And I will tell you, the world's wisdom will not point you to the God of the Bible. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It is what the world considers foolish 
the preaching of the gospel that God has ordained is your means of deliverance in this world. When Peter told that group in, in Acts chapter 2 to save yourself from this untoward generation, the way that they were going to do that is by sitting under the sound of the preached word. See, the gospel doesn't save you for heaven. Jesus Christ did that on the cross. Amen? But the gospel delivers you over and over and over in this world. you got a problem with your spouse. Guess what? The best thing you can do is sit under the preaching of the gospel. You got a problem at work. You got a problem with your family. You got a problem with yourself, which is what most of us have a problem with, right? You ought to be under the preaching of the gospel because the gospel is the means by which God has ordained that we would be delivered in this life. Martin Luther is quoted as saying this the devil does not mind the written word but he is put to flight whenever it is preached aloud. <laughs> the one who comes to kill, to steal, and destroy hates the preaching of the cross because it was at the cross that he was defeated. Don't y'all love that? Let's finish by this, the fourth thing, looking at, at preaching as our weapon for evangelism. Last week we looked at prayer as a means or a tool for evangelism. And it is very true that we should be praying for open doors to do what? To preach the gospel. It may be God that opens the doors, but He has ordained that it is the gospel that blows them off the hinges to change your life. The preaching of the Word. Let's, let's, let's read this and we'll close. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says that the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the, the exhortation from the gospel, uh, the the public proclamation of the gospel, that in the gospel is power. You see that? It's power to change. That's why you don't have to, you don't have to, like I don't have to go home tonight and, and worry about, I've got to come up with 17 ways to be a better husband for, for the people next week. And y'all may not understand that. When, when he says to preach the word, all he's saying is preach the gospel. And guess what? You'll become a better. If you sit under the sound of the gospel week in and week out, you'll want to be a better husband. You'll want to be a better wife. You'll want to be a better citizen. You'll want to be a better son. You'll want to be a better daughter. And it, it doesn't take my eloquence. It takes the power of the gospel. He says, he says for in the gospel that it is the power you know, if you go look up that word in a, in a lexicon today, power, you know, you know one of the definitions you're going to see? It is the ability to perform miracles. <laughs> you need a miracle in your life? Sit under the sound of the Gospel. When Jesus listed all those miracles to John, once again, what was the last one that He listed? that the poor had the Gospel preached unto them. It's a miracle. You know what changed the course of my life? The preaching of the Gospel. How many, how many marriages have been saved 
uh, not by the extensive counseling of, of a psychologist or whatever it may be, but just by simply a man hearing the gospel and changing his life. How many, testimony after testimony after testimony. How many... <laughs> Y'all ever heard, there's a song, you can go home and listen to it today, it's called The Baptism of Jesse Taylor. I think it's the Oak Ridge Boys or the Statler Brothers or it's one of those. It says they, they baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek this Sunday. It said, it, we don't agree with all the theology of the song, but it says Jesus gained a soul and Satan lost a good right arm. <laughs> they all sang hallelujah when Jesse's head went under because this time he went under for the Lord. <laughs> and it talks about how the, the taverns will be missing old Jesse. <laughs> And, the, and the, the women you shouldn't hang around, they'll be missing old Jesse. And, the, and it says, it says, it, it talks about Jesse Taylor's wife won't have to hang her head when she goes into town. And then it talks about Jesse's son. It's finally, all oh, the taverns have lost their best, their best member. Jesse's son's finally got a dad. And it's, it's I've read that was based on a man right here in Alabama who was saved by the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? It changes life. Y'all go listen to that song after church. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your gospel that points to You and away from us. And may we glory in what You've done. I pray, God, that You'd open doors so that we could speak the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and that we, not just as the ministry, but we would be like those in Acts chapter 8 that were scattered, men, women, and children that went everywhere preaching the word. And that we, would, that we wouldn't forget to preach it in our homes, to preach the gospel of grace and mercy and kindness, the things that we need uh, to survive in this life. And, and I pray there's any here that uh, this message is touched, Lord, that you wouldn't, uh, that they'd leave here today different people, and that you'd give us courage to live a Christian life in today's society. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.